When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Like you think you think that this is how you believe or that you think that this is your opinion of this thing or how you operate. But actually, there's more fear than you would have acknowledged. There's more self-loathing than you would have allowed. There's more shame around this thing that happened when you were 16 than mm -hmm. you possibly would have admitted to yourself. Mm -hmm. Bienvenido to podcast number 67. I don't know what number this is. It's good, dude. So first of all, I got to say thank you to everybody. We are here because of our generous patrons. We had over 100 people sign up. We raised $350 per month, which it puts us at solidly at one podcast per month. So thank you very much, guys. Whoops. The patron, uh, patronage, Patreon, is still up if you guys want to contribute. We'll continue to announce it. The next goal is $600 per month, which paid Justin to come over twice. <laughs> and yes. we'll have, at that point, bi-weekly podcasts. But you guys genuinely surprised me, and I'm, and I'm weirdly flattered by it. Nice. Uh, so I... Thank you, guys. Let's Here we get are. to two episodes a month. More than anyone, Justin says thank you as well. Yeah, yeah. Especially me. Especially in these trying times. Yeah, yeah. So first thing, how about this week's video that we did? Okay. Bill Gates. Yep. I don't know if you guys have watched it, but I made a video about Bill Gates, and I was cognizant that on YouTube there's a... There's two groups of people. The vast majority of people, which don't often think about Bill Gates and generally think of him as the guy who owned Microsoft and is donating a lot of his money. Mm -hmm. but, and, but know very little about him and don't think about don't, him often. Don't often think about him. And then a smaller but louder, more certain group of people that are very sure that Bill Gates has been in, integral in spreading coronavirus, wants to depopulate the planet, uh, look at Event 201, check it out. They're, they're very, very certain. And... My goal in making the video was to make it so that either side could watch it and go, oh, I guess I really don't know anything about Bill Gates. And so maybe I shouldn't speak, you know, he's, maybe he's not a savior and maybe he's not a, a monster who's trying to depopulate the planet. Mm -hmm. Everything I've learned about him has been filtered through my own perceptions in the news media. <clears throat> And I changed no minds, yeah. according to the comments. Yep, yep. I was, I was so not surprised. I shouldn't be surprised anymore. I changed zero minds. Yeah, no, the comments video. are pretty, it's like, yeah, maybe they don't like him because of his body language, or maybe it's because he's a Satanist. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Just did not go effectively. Yeah, so I, my bad. I had, <laughs> I genuinely had the intent of taking someone who was certain that they knew about him and just scaling back that level of certainty. Because the more interesting question for me is how do we know what we know about the people that we watch on video? Yeah. And 
I think we know nothing about them. I think as much as I, you know, we have this strange one-way relationship where we talk and sometimes answer questions, ultimately, people don't know about you or my life because we don't get to hang out. That's true, but if you have a good impression of me, you're absolutely <laughs> right. And if you don't like me, though, you don't know anything about me. You know, I, I also, separate from this, read Paul Graham has an essay about haters. Yeah. Where he says that- Really? Hate, yeah. It's fascinating. Surprising from Paul Graham. He says, one, if you hit a certain size, they're guaranteed. Uh, he says, typically you get fanboys in the first small growth and then haters come second and then they grow in a per similar proportion. So you'll typically get more fanboys than haters. But he says, one of the big problems is that people treat haters like they're the opposite of fanboys and really they're the exact same sorry thing. and are you saying fanboys is the same as fans or are you saying fanboys, fanboys is a specific thing? Is it, sorry, good question. Not a fan. A fanboy is someone who will go to bat for you no matter what that he says they're uncritical, don't care about the evidence, and yada, yada, yada. Got it, so you're, this is not to say the audience at large. No, this no, is no. within the audience, there's two pockets. Haters, which no matter what you do, see it through an evil lens, uh -huh. which I've, I've seen this all over the internet. And then yeah. two, people who no matter what you do, see it through an amazing lens, yes. you can do no wrong. Okay, yes. got it. And his point is just that- They're both wrong. People love their fanboys who always go to bat for them no matter what they do, yeah. and hate their haters. Yeah. And it's like, you gotta recognize that both of these people are being incredibly uncritical. And to take either perception as insight into you as a human or to respond in a particular way is counterproductive. Mm -hmm. um, so instead, focus on your craft, focus on the you know the audience at large, but not on not on either of these uncritical pockets of people that just love or hate you. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, and so I, I thought of Bill Gates when I watched, read that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, you got a lot of these haters, but I guess I imagine if if it is the case that you have not been spreading a global pandemic, which quite frankly I, I have not looked into, you probably have a lot of people that are very grateful for the not satanic work done by the Bill and Melinda Gates yeah. Foundation. Well, it actually ties into something I was going to talk about. I saw something on Reddit that was just fascinating because it it was this exact same thing. It was Cart. It was on Cringetopia, and it was Cardi B. And she was crying into a bowl of dry cereal. <laughs> I it, you saw I this, right? It, yeah. And she's like, "This isn't fair. I should be eating sushi at a restaurant." <laughs> and all the comments are like, "Fuck this bitch!" Blah 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 blah. And it's it's like, if you watch this with any sort of neutral eye, you go, "This can't be real, mm -hmm. right?" Like no one is this out of touch to a feel this way mm -hmm. and b post it. And then it comes out that she's doing she's fundraising for frontline responders mm -hmm. and being facetious. And this is part of like a longer live stream and it's a total joke. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that's kind of apparent even if you don't know the context by just watching this. You go, I didn't know it. You, well, if I you don't hate her, you go, no one would actually be like this. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think that. You thought clear. it was real? So I didn't, again, I didn't have a strong opinion about Cardi B after watching it, but I thought it was real. Dude, yeah, so it's not. And I guess my, my takeaway to people is if you watch something on the internet. <laughs> it's just not real. And get angry at it. Take a deep breath mm -hmm. because it's probably not real. I think that also is true, and this is what you have to say. If you get, I if you think that the person on camera is a different class of positive, better human, don't believe it either. And so the same thing happened with Ken Bone. If you remember, he was a guy at the at the debates, and he wore this funny red sweater and had just this. Yeah, this, yeah, and, yeah. And, and he was an internet idol, and then it turned out that he said things on Reddit that people don't like, and he, he was hated by the internet. Either one of those really strong emotions about an individual, and this is kind of what I've been exploring in the news, it's so much more useful to look at that as projections of your own shadow side. So what I mean by that is that what we react to very strongly in the world, 
we often think it's, oh no, it's because the world is that way. And really it's like, no, there's a part of us that's that way and we despise it and we hide it from our conscious perception. And then when we do see a reflection of it in the world, we freak out and snap on it because that's what we're doing internally. Yeah, and we hate ourselves for that yes. aspect of ourselves. Yes, sure. so, so it's been useful for me as this pandemic has occurred to, to watch what has triggered me Yeah, and, and to go, okay, let's presume that this isn't the world being different. Like what part of yourself and I've seen it with what I've gotten, you know this because I tell you every day, I've been going nuts off of cheating in the system, uh, people who are were once politically anti-handout who are eagerly awaiting their, you know, it's one thing to be consistent with, with what you think the role of government is, and it's another to flip on a dime as soon as it's your turn to cash in. Yeah, yeah, small government, yeah. low taxes, <laughs> libertarian, and then all of a sudden you're just like, yo, I want unemployment yeah. and I want additional benefits yes. because of corona. Yes. Like, Wait, but you... Stood, you stand for small government. You're constantly telling me that taxes are the problem. Yeah, and so, I mean, I, I did some self-exploration about what was bothering me, and it's true that, that that is occurring in the world, but what I recognized as I sat down, I was like, man, there's a part of me that I often play by the rules, but I don't want to. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, I want to cheat. Like, I, I want, and I think everybody feels this, as much, there's a part of me that wants as much for me as possible and screw everybody else. And I've been conditioned through morality and I was a philosophy major to logic that part of me down. And, and not act on it. And not act on it. And instead, <clears throat> get donate really a mad. lot of money. Get mad when people do act on it. Yeah. And get, and what I haven't done, which is the healthiest thing, is to recognize that part of myself, not hate it, not demonize it, integrate it into my being, but not necessarily give it reins over the decision making. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I've been doing. And it, it's interesting how when you do that, you, you know, I was sitting down yesterday and I was seeing like, oh my God, I want, I want it. Because <laughs> the things that you were, what does it say? The things that you resist persist yeah, yeah. at some level. So I've been playing around with that. I don't think I've touched foundational bedrock of that aspect of myself, but it has been useful. And the triggers are a great way to figure out what part of yourself you haven't brought in. This yeah, is what's yeah. in the emotional mastery course and I'm redoing it. So I'm like, going through it again in an attempt to redo it yeah. it's good nice <laughs> it's gonna be a good course that's awesome yeah my only takeaway from cardi b and bill gates actually because there was one part for the, with the bill gates thing that i was just so confused by because people were saying he's gone on record saying he wants to depopulate the world mm -hmm. and i was like well this must have started somewhere like where so i was just like where did this come from and it came from a ted talk where he says that vaccines will help with with stemming population growth mm -hmm. and when i looked into it because everybody saw that line and was like He's killing people with vaccines. His actual hypothesis is just if you guarantee someone their kids will live, they have three kids instead of seven kids. But most people just go for the uh, instant like inflammatoriness or they just write it off. And then with Cardi B, what I saw was Reddit got their pitchforks out for her, which is like, ah, and, it's, and just, she's simultaneously doing a joke and actually raising money for mm -hmm. first responders, which no one behind their keyboard is necessarily doing. So my only thing is if you see someone that you don't know really well and your instant reaction is hatred, either do research and find out what they actually said and are actually doing, or just don't. Just just breathe into that for a couple seconds and then go, cool, I actually know nothing about Bill Gates or Cardi B, and I'm okay with that, and then just go watch funny videos or do your own projects. Sure. So yeah, that was my thing. I was like, wow, it really makes no sense to have an extreme hatred reaction for someone and then not try to disprove yourself mm -hmm. because the internet is chock full of editing lies at this point. Well, only if you accept that it says more about you than it does about them. So Bill Gates gave that speech and millions of people watched it. And some people had, we watched the same speech. Some people thought, wow, what a great thing. And some people thought, oh my God, Freudian slip, he wants to kill everybody. Yeah, yeah. And then they said, told some of these people and they said, yeah, I'm not buying it. 
And it's like, okay, with the same foundational evidence, how do we come to such different conclusions? Well, the only answer is that we must be coming with different assumptions and presuppositions yeah, yeah. about the way the world is. So the, the most useful question, no matter what your reaction, oh, Bill Gates is a hero or this is, what does Bill Gates represent to me? Is Do, do I trust authority? Do I distrust authority? Like, Yeah, you said something You said something amazing this week that I'm going to ask you to re-say. And if you don't you remember, say, if you don't remember how you said it, I wrote it down. <laughs> but uh, do you, can you define bad faith? And I can say your definition if you don't remember uh, I mean, exactly. I, I'd go ahead. I okay. Know. So you said we were in conversation. And you said this and I was like, wow, this is the smartest argument or debate tactic I've ever heard. So geez, man, I'm flattered. Uh, <laughs> so bad, defi- bad faith is when you argue something and you are pretending that this is my explanation before I get to your quote, but that you're pretending that you're open minded and that what you're you're only on your side because it's the right side and you're discussing to try to change someone else's mind with the false pretense that you'll change your own. Mm-hmm. But really, both people are just there's literally nothing you can say to convince me that Bill mm-hmm. Gates is a Satanist or isn't a Satanist. Mm-hmm. So what you said, which I thought was fascinating, was tell me what evidence you would need to change your mind. And then if you don't change your mind after getting that evidence, you're arguing in bad faith. Mm-hmm. And obviously say it a little bit less aggressively if you're talking to a friend. Mm-hmm. But that's fascinating to me. It's like, OK, you think that 5G is causing the coronavirus. What could I show you that would change your mind? If I showed you that there were places that had chock full of 5G with no corona, would you change your mind? Mm-hmm. No. If in five years we aren't controlled by alien reptiles or AI, would you change your mind? And 5G is pervasive, yeah. No. And it's like, what What can I do? What can I show you? What fact would make you release that belief? Well, And like, if the answer is nothing, yeah. it's like, okay, let's just never talk about this well, again. Another good one, and we've talked discussed this, is, okay, let's put some skin in the game. This is an Asim Taleb thing, which is that, and, and it's, you should look at, reflect on this in your own life because it really does. It'll scale back your certainty with a lot of things. People like to make proclamations about their certainties and it's always fun to say, okay, let's bet on it. Let's pick a fair odds. You know what I mean? You're, you're certain. So I think 50-50 odds are appropriate. Generous. Generous. <laughs> if in five years, 5G has this percentage of coverage and the overlords are not in our brains, let's put $1,000 into escrow right now yeah. and... I'll get paid if that's not. Now, granted, it's going to be tough for you to get paid if the overlords are in your brains because they might <laughs> mess up the escrow. But if that's not the case, you know, if it is the case in the overlords, you'll get the $1,000 or whatever it is and you can apply it to your particular situation. Yeah. When you ask people to put skin in the game, if somebody's genuinely certain, like they've got insider knowledge, like, dude, Michael Jordan is going to pretend to be hurt this game. The Bulls are going to lose. Right? Yeah. You would bet. You will bet on that because you stand to make money. And mm-hmm. we know this because people inside trade in the stock market all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eagerly, eagerly. But if you're unwilling to, to wager based on beliefs that you claim to hold very dearly. Strong conviction. It, it, that's that's suspicious. It doesn't immediately because there's there's edge cases, but it's very suspicious yeah. if you're unwilling to get rich off of things that you know that other people don't know. Uh, especially given that people try to get rich in all other kinds of shady ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we've been discussing. No, so that's a great one. So yeah, if somebody if somebody is digging their heels in, uh, I think it, there's two great strategies. One is okay, let's just make a bet. And then two is, okay, what would we? What would I have to show you that you'd change your mind? Yeah. And make them say it because what happens, you'll, you'll see they'll have to live with cognitive dissonance in the front of their brain. Instead of normally what happens is people just experience their beliefs rubbing against each other, but then run away from it. If you're like, okay, so if I can show you that there's a place that has the highest 5G concentration in the world and no coronavirus, would you say that Corona is not caused by 5G, and they say yes, and then you show it to them. They might not change their mind, but they will have to, in front of you, process that. And you might actually be able to convince someone to be more open-minded that way. Mm-hmm. 
or and I think what is more important uh, to be less certain, right? And, and whether we call it open and perhaps that's that what I'm saying, be more open-minded, not open-minded. change their mind, but yeah. be more open-minded, be yes. less of a zealot. Mm-hmm. Which I, and I think if if you do believe, quite frankly, if you believe this and there's evidence that's convincing to you, I'm. I have no problem with that because I don't actually stand opposed to you right now. I haven't done my research, right? It's it's exactly what you're saying. If you're unwilling to to stand behind these in, in consequential ways, but you are willing to say that someone else is depopulating the earth, that's you placing a lot of onus on them, on them, no skin of your own in the game, and is a it's a dangerous place to be because you risk nothing while destroying the reputation of someone else. Yeah, the bet thing is also just fun because I've seen it uh, I've seen it shake people's conviction a little bit. Mm-hmm. You actually get a better conversation sometimes because mm-hmm. people will, oh, they, they, will evaluate they mitigate and they'll be like, okay, well now I can't talk about this like it's 100% certainty. Mm-hmm. I have to talk about it like it's how I actually feel. Yeah. So it's fun. It really takes the, the air out of the sails sometimes and you get a much better quality conversation. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about this, and it's not just with regard. First, it was with regard to other people, and then obviously it turns back on yourself. But we've talked about truth versus happiness mm-hmm. on this podcast before, and I've been thinking with regards to this stuff. I go, I don't think that the any person who hasn't watched, uh, let's say, ten to twenty hours or read ten to twenty hours of articles from opposing sides and tried to disprove their own initial hypothesis has flimsy ground to stand on with regards to the character of a guy who's been alive for 60 years. You know what I mean? Like, okay. So that level of certainty that we feel indicates that we are not primarily interested in truth. So it must serve us in some way. Yeah, and, yeah. and so it makes us happy. And I've just been thinking that I've been thinking a lot about truth and happiness. So the one I told you about this copywriting book that I that I read. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> and what's this, it called? Uh, it's called the Sixteen Word Sales Letter. Okay. And in it, the guy in his intro he talks about you know hey he he a few years ago this guy didn't even speak English he's from he's from Brazil and now he's writing these these sales letters for Agora that have earned eighty million dollars. And he gets into his thing and he's talking about how he writes these letters and he says, okay, now you get to the part where you write your story. And so here's a couple examples of stories that I've written for sales letters. And one is like, I grew up in Connecticut from a middle-class family. And the other one is like, by the time I was 21, I traded millions of dollars. And the other one's like, by the time I started in Chicago with my, and it's like, maybe these things are possible. You went from Brazil to Connecticut to New York to this, to being poor here and trading penny stocks, but also derivatives at age 21. I I, I really did try to, to, Piece oh, you didn't immediately think it was a liar? No, I have to give them the, him the benefit of the doubt, and I go, "This is a leap." And there's a, there's a handful of other things in there where he displays no regard for telling the truth. The only measure of success is does the sales pitch work? Uh, and there was another one that I told you where Amazon is going to announce. Uh, he says, I am certain they are going to announce they will accept Bitcoin on this date. Well, clearly the book has been published and this was in October that he said it was going to accept it. And if you don't get in, they didn't. You know yeah, because I mean? at the time, he's <laughs> trying to write a letter that convinces people to, to buy his to buy Bitcoin his pro- No, his product, product that no, his tells Bitcoin you product, yeah, yeah. Yeah, how to buy Bitcoin or whatever. And no shame, like literally no shame in including that story in this book. And I was, one, I was thinking, you must think and it must be true that most of your readers don't trust you any less despite the fact that you've told them that you lie to people to get ahead, <laughs> right? You've admitted that you're a liar. 
And now I'm still expected to believe that you're a great copywriter, that you do all these yeah, things. Yeah, like, that's why, interesting. Why would I believe that? And, and your readers must in their own, uh, I, this is the other thing. I think that when you are used to uh, a certain level of deception, you become blind to it in your own life and are more easily taken advantage of because you are more permissive of it. You know, so like this guy might not even be a good copywriter. I don't know. Yeah, that's fascinating because <laughs> like, in the same book, he's the one who's saying I've sold, I've made myself $10 million copywriting. And maybe But he also has. he's saying. He grew up in Connecticut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Brazil at the and same Brazil, time. And Brazil and didn't speak English a few years ago. And, and like, but went to college a well, few how years many, ago. Yeah, but yeah. also went to college a few years ago. So how many years ago is a few? Is a few is 15? I mean, that's. <laughs> I didn't speak English a few years ago. <laughs> 31 years ago, I barely knew a word. So I've been thinking about, anyway, truth and happiness is where I come down to is truth or, or, or sorry, lying is incredibly effective at achieving a conscious goal of yours. So if your goal is to sell more products in a particular time frame, lying is the better way to get there in the short term, mm -hmm. right? Because you're going to be able to move, you know, I grew up here, I sold this, I made a million dollars. Like it's easier to do that. Uh, and on yeah, your worst case scenario is you can just be honest and now you're going to tie the guy that's you being have, honest. You, you could say more. Yeah. And it's unfortunate you and I kind of realize that like in a small community that can't last very long, mm -hmm. but in a world that's the size of ours, you can just move on and on. You and can just shift. burn new. That's how these gurus work is they, they burn an audience for, for mm -hmm. a couple products. And then that person goes, I fucking hate that scumbag. Mm -hmm. And they go, oh, well, I'm just never going to talk to you again. I'm going to talk to this person who's never heard of me. And so, yeah, they just... So you can move like on and on and on, and in in the span of human life, never never get your, your come comeuppance. Up and I thought I was like, wow, that's a bummer. Maybe lying is better in the long term. But what I realized is that uh, when I think of the people who are more permissive, and there's certainly areas of my own life I don't mean to say that I'm perfectly honest, because one of the things you realize when you deeply, deeply reflect is that lying is. Uh, it, it, it pervades everything, right? Even even the way that we approach the world and the, and the things that we uh, eliminate from our sensory perceptions are like, they're very focused on what is beneficial to us. So mm -hmm. I look at this room and I see it in terms of my own survival and benefit, and I'm not seeing the full spectrum of every piece of light that is coming in evenly. So well, that's what happens when people research things. They go, I'm gonna mm -hmm. try to, I'm gonna try yes, to decide example. if Corona is a hoax or not. Mm -hmm. But then they'll see an article that says that it's not a hoax and they'll, be, oh, this is unconvincing. And then they'll find one that is a hoax and they'll go, this is awesome. And then they'll catalog it. Mm -hmm. And so if you were to quiz them a week later, they'd have all the this, this stuff that confirmed their bias memorized and all the stuff that went against their bias would be completely forgotten or unconvincing. Yes. No and matter so, which side of the argument you're on. And so, and so what lying does is it's very good at survival because in the short term, a survivor goal, a survival goal is obvious. You know what I mean? I need to make more money, convince this person to like me, uh, and it can be ego survival, maintain this particular belief. And I know how to do that. I can like block out all the evidence and do this. But in the long term, you have to lie to yourself in order to allow those sorts of things to happen. So mm -hmm. you have to, and we see this, these marketers who are telling me, you know, this course, the only reason that I lie about the deadline on this course is because I know it's so good and it's gonna change people's lives so much that I have to pretend that I'm, ne I'm never gonna offer it again. And because once they get in, and so they lie to themselves about their true motives and they're never able to say that the reason I'm doing this is because I'm so desperately money hungry and empty on the inside. The only thing that fills me up is collecting more money. Yeah, yeah. And because they're unable to go to that deeper level of honesty, they will be less happy in the long term. They will achieve their goals but they cannot confront the hole that they have inside of them, which mm -hmm. is the biggest lie, the fact that they feel good, which they don't because they wouldn't behave like this if they were filled up. 
And so you and I have talked about it's truth or truth or happiness, truth or happiness. And I actually think in the long term they are the same. That is my thing. Or you die. <laughs> or you tell the truth. The Nazis come knocking on your door. They say, are there any Jews in here? You say yes, and they <laughs> they, they kill you. Yeah. So if you don't die from telling the truth, it actually, I do think, leads to eventually you will be operating the world as it is. And I'm hiding those Jews in my attic, dude. I'm, I'm lying right to that <laughs> Nazi too. space. Me too. Me too. Absolutely. I would. If Anne Frank is in my attic, I... Sorry, I don't know sorry. what you're talking about. Yeah. I nine. 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 <laughs> nine Juden. Um... I don't know. Do you agree with that? Disagree with that? I know you haven't had a chance to think about it. Do you think that they are different? Or do you think they eventually converge being honest and being happy? No, I think it makes sense. I think mm -hmm. it makes sense. I mean, I think the thing, the biggest thing is when you aren't, when you can't be honest with yourself about, and this might be a little different than what you're saying, but about how happy you actually this, are. No, this is exactly This what is I'm the saying. single, that's the single most destructive lie. And that's how you get guys who literally, they already have hundreds of millions of dollars and to pursue more wealth because they've they've they can't get to the fact that the reason they're so desperately trying to get wealthy is because they want power because when they were children they didn't feel powerful because of something that happened mm -hmm. to their dad and what they really need to do is just go do mushrooms and either hug their dad or something <laughs> uh, instead what they'll do is insider trade like we talked about and go to literal jail despite the fact that they were already obscenely god levels of wealthy mm -hmm. And you look at it from the outside, you go, this makes no sense. Why didn't they just stop at $50 million and not go to jail? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's because they haven't been able to be honest about their own motivations, their own experiences growing up. And so that self-deception leads them to do something that looks like it makes no sense from the outside because they, they can't pause and just be like, I'm actually miserable doing this. Yeah. I'm going to break down on billions. And, and I think at some point in the video, if I do it, I have to say, we're going to talk about this guy like he's someone to aspire to because he's powerful and he's rich and he has a couple of women that are beautiful that like mm -hmm. him. But just to be clear, this guy almost goes to jail, has a years long battles that cause nothing but stress in his life, gets a divorce. Mm -hmm. Like he's far less happy than a middle class person mm -hmm. who just loves the people around them and has a good family. And so I think that the way that occurs is when you can't be honest with yourself about what's happening and go wow i'm miserable and so instead you just keep pursuing the external stuff no this is and you've highlighted what i didn't say which is in order to lie to other people what you'll find is that there are very few people in the world who can be honest with themselves about the lies they tell they necessarily in order to per maintain the image of themselves as a good person have to first self-delude themselves into being into you know well this was a good product so it's worth it or it's you know that actually isn't a lie because of this and and so they build this habit exactly what you're saying of lying to themselves so if they can lie about the surface level stuff it's essential to lie about that that foundational emptiness oh yeah <laughs> you feel. only you only clear out in my in my belief is that you only clear out the self-deception after you after. have stopped all of the external yes. deception for an, an extended period of time, actually. Mm -hmm. it, it is impossible to lie to the world and not lie to yourself. Mm -hmm. What you can actually do is not lie to the world and still lie to yourself. And so <laughs> what is required is not lying to the world and then doing the internal digging to find your own lies mm -hmm. in addition. Yeah. Uh, it's hard. Yeah, no, that was my point. And I don't mean to say it to any of this because like I said, I'm reflecting it all myself. The, the more I dig, the more I found that there are uh, yeah, just foundational perceptual things that are intended to uh, keep my ego alive in the way that it perceives itself and that there is the sense that what drives my worldview 
at the most core levels, and I believe this is true of everybody, is is the need to persist and survive and not a need to change, grow, and be honest with, with the ways that the world has shifted. Yeah, yeah. Even though I'm like, no, no, this is the way that things are. You are this type of person. This is, you know, you, you believe this. Uh, you, you live up to these ideals, yada, yada, yada. Um, so I don't mean to put myself on any sort of pedestal. In fact, that's, that's the opposite of the point of this. So did you have any, I have a bunch of random. I have a cool things. story that yeah. I saw. So I, it's funny. So to learn how to do a better podcast, I started following podcasts. Mm-hmm. One of the podcasts I started following is Logan Paul. And then I got into his vlogs, which are actually incredibly entertaining these days. Mm-hmm. So somehow I've ended up starting for work. I'm now subscribed to Logan Paul. Yeah. <laughs> and he, there's this really cool story by this guy. I think his name is Eric, who basically has decided I want to be a vlogger and I want to befriend Logan Paul. And so he starts by going to Jake Paul's fight, pretending to be a reporter, giving fake credentials, getting an interview from Logan video. Paul. Saw yeah, it goes video. viral. And then in the end, he's like, ah, oh, just kidding. Like, I pranked you. I'm one of you. And he's like, oh, that was cool. That's like a good move. But then Logan just goes and lives his life because he's 100 times bigger than this guy. And so then the guy goes, OK, well, I want to I want to try to get that relationship going. So he shows up at his house to do another interview. And Logan is pissed. Logan goes, the fuck are you doing here? Like, don't show up unannounced to my home. Kicks him out and is like, now I'm not cool with this guy. And the guy's like, oh, man, that was a that was a misplay. How, what do I do? So instead of just giving up there, he continues to just follow Logan's stories on Instagram and stuff like that. Logan says repeatedly that he wants to get rid of these $90,000 couches that he has because he hates them. It's the number one thing he regrets buying. It's the number one thing he wants for his birthday is to get rid of them. And this guy smartly picks up on this and goes, this is my way in. Instead of just bamboozling him in his house, I'm going to come in and give him the number one thing that he has repeatedly said he wants. And so he gets a sponsor plus gets a ton of his own money for $17,000 and contacts the uh, the Logan Paul team and is like yo can I buy the couch it doesn't say who he is he just I want to buy the couches is 17 grand enough and they go yeah sure he does not live in LA flies out to LA hooks up with some other YouTubers rents a U-Haul shows up to Logan's house hides because Logan hates him right and then they're like okay where's the buyer and he pops out and, they, and Logan's like this guy oh and then he goes are you screw are you just fucking me right now like are you just here as a prank he goes nope he pulls out seventy thousand dollars cash and he goes i'm here to buy your couches he goes what are you going to do with me he goes i don't know put them in the u-haul and at that point he gets his business meeting with logan and mike and logan's manager and i thought it was just a really cool story about persistence but also about how to connect with people because we've talked about this before oh i have someone i want to be my mentor how do i connect with them and we have always said follow what they're interested in try to solve their problems one of our friends showed up to a guy who's a speaker and gave him a book for 10 bucks. And I just thought this was an extreme example that mm-hmm. was really cool. It was this dude going out on a limb, taking his own money and putting it on the line. And, and I hope it works out. But yeah, he 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 got, got his meeting. meeting. You know so, what I mean? We've been talking about this for a long time. There's a video we have not made, which is how to recover from a bad first impression. I think you just, I think you just got it right, there, <laughs> right? You know, because yeah. I've actually never known. The truth is, most of the time, when you make a bad impression on someone, it's like, don't worry about it. <laughs> the world is yeah, a big yeah. place. Like, uh, continue to do your thing. And we have a handful of other tips that are good. Uh, but I've never been able to really, why would you work so hard to salvage something? And in fact, because the thing is by working hard, you're actually, it's getting worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and by, by like needing, 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 you're making yeah, the impression yeah. worse. So you have to do something so spectacular and over the top that it, it compensates for the fact that you're, like Logan was suspicious of him even when he saw him there. And I think that's, a very good case case study yeah. 
don't know that anybody wants to go that far, but like. Well, what I think is cool is that I think there are a lot of people who have said to themselves, I want to be a vlogger. Mm -hmm. I'd love to be a Paul brother or I'd love to be Logan's friend. He has so many fans. I'm sure there are hundreds of thousands of people out mm -hmm. there who are like, I would love to live this life and be their friend. And this one guy said, I'm actually going to do what that takes. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I'm going to fast track myself there. And we'll see how it works out, but it might be that might be the best seventeen grand that guy ever spends in his life. Maybe there's a handful of those stories. The Ryan Holidays who like show up at Tucker Max's thing, writes them, and this is back in the day before people were doing this. This very specific why I'm going to work for you for free, what I'm capable of doing, and he'd clearly read all of Tucker's work. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just like I'm, I'll do anything. It was like I'm going to do this because you need this, and you said you needed this. So we took him in, and then Ryan Holiday wrote a bunch of New York Times bestsellers, and like he got yeah, yeah. got his mentorship. So I do think that. Yeah, there's there's room for that. Yeah, we unfortunately we don't actually make it public what we're what we need, so we're very hard people to do this for. Well, but I'm not a good mentor. No, but I'm saying if there if you have people that you want to follow or that you want to work with or you want as mentors, like following their Instagrams and their newsletters and trying to understand yeah. how you can help them. And it's really not me. I'm just putting like yeah, yeah. I hang out and we played Apex Legends for several hours yesterday. Like Logan is hustling, Tucker was hustling. Uh, I'm going to teach you how to kick back. And <laughs> I think you can get that on your own. So a random, random segue. Is there anything else? Yeah, I'm out. I'm out of topics for today. I just thought this was interesting. I watched an interview with JJ Redick and he mentions that he almost quit basketball. Yeah, I saw that. Because of people were being so mean to him. At 19, when At he was the 19, number one college player in the country. When he was incredibly handsome, incredibly good at basketball famous like also and it was not that he was perfectly well liked but at his own school they really did like him he did yeah. say the lunch lady gave him the the side eye oh but i'm <laughs> sure i'm sure objectively when jj reddick walked around duke's he campus was he was beloved yes which well go ahead you say your thing and then i have another takeaway he was he almost quit basketball yeah. <laughs> that he was so talented so good and you would think oh my god who do i remember being like oh that's jj oh uh, yeah i like, would love to switch places i just with him. wanted to switch bodies with him so bad yeah and again, I don't know how many times I have to get this lesson. You just don't know what it's like to walk in other people's shoes. You don't know what it's like. And everybody assumes they talk about, you know, Cardi B or Ellen being out of touch because they have money. You do not know what it's like to live in their head and their body. You assume that having millions of dollars would make everything better. And while it would solve some of the problems you're aware of, it would almost certainly create problems that you've never encountered. Yeah. And so I'm not saying money is bad. And I'm not saying that adding more to your life might not re remove some stress. But the the i've just been proven wrong every time i've been jealous of somebody and i learn more about their life in a moment of candor i go wow yeah. <laughs> like what was i thinking why was i wasting effort and energy on thinking this? wasn't it also a fascinating insight into the human mind that someone can have 90 percent of their in-person experiences mm -hmm. be incredible but yeah. still feel hated because they're receiving messages of hatred from people that they don't know well who he aren't in their he community. He 50 hate calls a day on his cell phone. They leaked his phone. I mean, they found ways to get to him. Yeah, yeah. Like, he, he wasn't like, oh, turn off the computer. It was like, mm, they've- What percentage of his day do you think was caught, was interacting I mean, I with haters? I did math. He was getting phone calls more than every 20 minutes. <laughs> and I don't know if he was interacting oh, with them. Yeah. They leaked his phone number. And so, like, he was- I'm sure he changed phones, though. Sure. I find it really hard to believe that most of his life wasn't just people being- in awe of him yes yes but also you turn on the tv you turn on the this people like you don't have to that's yeah. what i'm saying you don't have to watch sports center and see Stephen a smith shit on you you do have to show up at a game at somebody else's thing and yes, have away games and have i don't know forty thousand people tell you that you're you know scream at you and you that you and you show up at a home game where people tell you you're a god this yeah. is my point is that the human brain is just better at holding on to criticism 
than it is at holding on to praise. Well, we, it can't handle the scale of the world. You know, it, it, it just can't. It, we, we never would see 40,000 people. And so certainly if 40,000 of them hated you, it's like, well, this is the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> if, you're, if you're in a village and 40,000 people I'm hate you, I'm about to be executed. No, this is the end for me. Uh, and forget what happened, you know, two days ago, because this is truly the end of my life yeah. right now. Uh, so yeah, I thought I just thought that that was no. It's just fascinating. I mean, you've seen it. You can read twenty comments, and if eighteen of them are good, but two are mean, those are the two you you watch and reread and focus mm -hmm. on. Yeah, it's just amazing. Human brain cannot cannot comprehend criticism. Poor JJ. And then not the, poor JJ though. He's all right now. <laughs> no, he's fine. Well, that's then he then he got older. And what's funny is he's obviously he's in the NBA, but he's he's not the standout. He was he was the greatest basketball yeah. player in his age group at that time, and he's not today. And it's better for him. Now, granted, he's made a lot of money and all those sorts of things. But, yeah, things – I when I was younger, I thought that getting older was just worse in every way. After a certain point, after you were, like, out of the house, I was like, well, that's it. You peak at 21. You can yeah. drink now. <laughs> and from here on out, it gets worse. And it's, it seems that as people get older, they get perspective and wisdom and, and generally sometimes become happier. They're not all the time. So the last, well, maybe this is a cuttable thing, but we've talked about it before. I'll say the last piece of thing that I have is uh, on Reddit, I told you there was this article, Uplifting News, that was uh, guy goes, Steakhouse regular, comes to Steakhouse, tips entire stimulus check, Uplifting News. Yep. And I think that that's a very, I don't know this person in particular, so who knows what they're going through, but... When you, another read on this, which which my brother brought to my attention, is okay. This guy is a steakhouse regular. Yeah, yeah. This is a guy who regularly goes to steakhouses. <laughs> you know, like he doesn't just cook steaks; he, he eats out at steakhouses. Yeah, there's tiers of people. There's people <laughs> who once a month treat themselves to a steak at home. Then there's people who every week cook a steak. Yeah. Then there's a guy multiple times a week who goes, yeah, seventy five dollars yeah. for dinner. So, I could, I could oh, do that. Okay, so or, or 35 or 45, who knows. So he gets a stimulus check, which is not mandatory. You have to apply for these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why did he get a stimulus check? I don't know. And I don't know for what particular, because there's a, there's a bunch of different kinds of stimulus. You can get the 1200 you can get the small business loan. I, I don't know particular, I don't know his situation, and I don't mean to say this particular guy is bad, but okay, so he's going to steakhouses, he's getting a stimulus check, which is essentially a pool of money from the entire American population that is intended to go to the people in need. in need it the most. And what does he do with it? He redistributes it to his tiny little inner circle of people who do you think they're not going to give him free steaks after this? You think he's not going to get this? You think like this is so I'm not I don't know the particulars which clearly matter in this situation. But what on its surface or might appear to be a very generous thing I think this is a problem. People do not comprehend where this money, where the money comes, comes from. from. And it doesn't come from the government. It comes, it comes from you. From it, comes from, Mississippi it comes from the, everyone else in, who has ever paid Alaska taxes. And, yeah. and, and, and people whose wages will stay the same, but inflation will occur and will make less I was gonna for say, the this rest is the thing. of their lives. People, people think of it as printing new money because they are technically <laughs> printing new money. But that just defl that just makes your money less valuable yes <laughs> right? and so, so now we're all poorer so that these stimulus checks can go out which is fine when they go out to people that mm -hmm. should get them whoever that is but well, so so essentially what he did is he said you know i've determined that everybody should pay these tiny groups of people even more and maybe they've already gotten their stimulus checks but they need more yeah. instead of just going i'm not one of the people that should be getting a stimulus check i mean that's the uplifting news guy who is upper middle class doesn't fill out stimulus check application. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't doesn't uh, allows, single handedly distribute allows finite pool of funds to go to people who need it. <laughs> so, 
And I've seen that mentality with this stimulus, which is everybody's got to get theirs. Everybody's got to get theirs. And that's, well, there is a sense that this is finite. And if you don't take it, it is going to go to other that. people. I feel that. I feel that. And so that's part of what started what I mentioned earlier, which is this, I've, I've been frustrated, angry at the cheaters. And what I see when I look inside myself is I desperately have that desire to claim for myself as well. And it's only this like cognitive philosophical brain that is really suppressing those emotional impulses yeah, yeah. that that feel like there's not enough it's it's not and and of course it's silly because one of the the nice result of of the introspection that i've done is i genuinely and it's only been a handful of days i feel much more grateful like i, I walk around I'm like holy cow i've hot water yeah, i yeah. don't often think that thought and because the way that i had to get there was by going well wait a second this is for people who need it and if you're a person who needs it that means you might not be able to pay rent next month. And yeah. like, you can. So forget that you don't have, like, do you want to trade with that? Do you want to be accepting the stimulus check and curious if you're going to be able to pay rent in two months? Like, no, you're a beneficiary of the system. You make silly little YouTube videos. And it's, weirdly enough, it made me sadder for a period of time because I was like, oh man, I, I want this stuff and I'm not getting it. And I had to admit that. And then I think ultimately, when you're honest, like holy cow, I'm, I'm, things are good. I'm very lucky. I don't yeah, live yeah. in Papua New Guinea. I don't. I can pay my rent next month, and I don't need to worry about. This well, stuff. that's a big philosophical difference between <laughs> political parties and people in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Is that pe- people will often say, "Hey, congratulations on you know you guys doing so well with Charisma on Command." This and that, and like, yeah, I was basically born at the finish line. Yep. I kind of like fell over it. You know yeah. what I mean? Or like they like gave me the ball at the one yard line with no defenders in front of me, and they said, "You want to just walk forward?" And some people have made businesses for themselves, and they think. I did this all on my own. Mm-hmm. I built this. The government shouldn't tax me. The success is mine. And I don't even mean from a sense of the fact that that's not true because anyone who drives on roads takes advantage <laughs> of taxpayer has money. supplies that are driven to them on yeah. roads. Yeah. I, I don't even mean that. I mean the fact that you weren't born in a place where there was gun violence all the time or where you had to drop out of school as a teenager to support your siblings because you didn't have a parental figure there was an inquisition and you were the wrong religion yeah and you were that's what i mean it's like forget the fact that actually we should all pay taxes Mm -hmm. because actually we would all like to call 911 when shit gets bad it's yeah you you just were born into a place where you could go to school and focus on studying yeah and that's the 20 yard line and then you got to go to college because you didn't on the 20 yard line if you open up history to the entirety of human experience which is like for the first yeah yeah a hundred thousand years but i'm just saying even today i'm just saying even today almost no one is in in my opinion get should get to say the phrase of i did this on my own you have parents dude that's how you exist (laughs) like you were two people allowed you to exist they get credit for your existence Mm -hmm. i don't know to me i think that's a fundamental difference in certain people's mindsets and i think it changes your whole worldview yeah and i and, and i know that you don't mean it to but i want to elaborate because i think that i think that sometimes democrats republicans libertarians whatever they talk past each other because they'll be like you didn't do it on your own and then the other person will respond well i worked really hard and it's, both of those are true <laughs> yeah yeah both of those things are true you and you might have distinguished yourself from other people also born at your level of advantage that didn't do that so that's not to say you haven't separated yourself in some way it is to recognize that in the scheme of human experience, if you are listening to this right now, likely, I don't know, everybody, you could be anywhere in the world, you are in the top 1%. Oh, yeah. I mean, victory was literally being born in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And then from there, I, listen, I worked hard in high school. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to diminish my achievements, but mm-hmm. I'm just saying I was greatly helped out literally by just the ability to be able to focus on studying in high school to the extent I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Like, that's 
an upper hand. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. That's what I mean. Yeah. And and then people can disagree about how to redistribute taxes or whatnot, or should there be more taxes or less. But I, to I very much agree with that philosophical thing. It was interesting because that came up in Graham Stephen or Stephen. PewDiePie has been reacting to Jubilee. Those videos where they have, mm. you know, one millionaire talks to, and Graham Stephan, for whatever reason, isn't on the inside with those guys. He's done a handful of videos with them. So he, in a... He's just their go-to millionaire, He's just right? their go-to millionaire. He's one of their go-to millionaires. He, then PewDiePie talked about it, and his thing was, I, when people talk about making their millions, it's just pure luck. And Graham Stephan responded, yes, it is, you know, these things, but you have to work hard. You have to do this. And I actually, the thing that, where my determinism comes in is... Well, why did you work hard, Graham? Was that was that an independent free will choice that you made, or or like why do you have the IQ that you had? You weren't born, you know, you don't have the learning disability, and even if you did have a learning disability, it's not one that has prevented you from communicating clearly. Like there there are, to me, I I, I understand when people say it's entirely luck because if you look, if if I rolled the dice the wrong way and I have no vocal cords, a non-functioning brain. Se se severe levels of down <laughs> severe syndrome. Severe levels of whatever. Like, yeah, I'm not, I, I, none of my hard work supersedes that and puts me at a level of, of this level of success. Mm -hmm. So you really do have to take those things very for granted to say that it's not luck while recognizing that people can be born with similar apparent circumstances and then still distinguish themselves yeah but even those apparent circumstances tom cruise mentions this at some point he says you know i worked hard and somebody says yeah but what made you tom cruise like what is it that instilled that work ethic is that something you chose or is that a product and in my view it is because i'm a determinist of the influences in your life the things somebody said to you when you were six years old the way that your unique brand chemistry interpreted that and what that meant for you uh in my opinion we're all along for the ride looking out of our own eyes yeah and so anything shy of if, if life's going pretty good of gratitude is doesn't make sense sure but that doesn't mean that you can't argue about how much taxes should be allocated that's, that's yeah yeah no and also to keep the metaphor going you can pull a deshaun jackson you can be yeah. at the one yard line and throw the ball behind you on mm -hmm. accident like, well well he's only at the apparent one yard line i know you're the deshaun jackson for those if anyone doesn't know, know deshaun jackson literally <laughs> sprinted through had no defenders in front of him thought he had a touchdown and celebrated early by tossing the ball backwards 20 yards when he was one yard away yeah and thankfully no one picked it up because it was just a fumble yeah yeah but he did not get that touchdown but even people who are there who goes oh they had everything you know they were born with millions of dollars it's well that's only apparently an advantage because who knows if that same genetic brain born into poverty might have might have done incredible like it clearly hasn't been an advantage for them so i when i'm when i step into my determinist mind i i just have very different opinions than a lot of people sure I but i mean even uh, even on team free will over here i think it's, i think it's fair to say you know people should just be grateful and not not consider themselves um, necessarily superior to others because of their success compared to others yeah and on team determinism you can't say people should anything. Whether or not you're grateful <laughs> isn't even in your choice. <laughs> you either are. That's why I hate determinism. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's do questions. Cool. <clears throat> yeah, get up, get up real close to that microphone, nice. Justin. Okay, so the first one is, hi, Charlie and Ben. Um, my name is Teresa, and I'm a 28-year-old captain in the U.S. Air Force. I have a question related to self-love. After struggling with the root cause of anxiety, depression, low self-esteem, and lack of identity for most of my life, I'm happy to report I've made lasting progress in developing self-love through a reconnection with Christianity. It was really God who made the progress in healing me, not my strength. 
I'm curious to know how you guys foster self-love. Is it based in religion, philosophy, psychology, a combination of those or something else? Uh, do you want to go first? Or would you like to no, answer? sure don't. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for me personally, what would I say? It's, I believe that the, what self-love is, because it's worth defining, is an unconditional acceptance of one's everything. Thoughts, experiences, the things that we might not like about ourselves. And I, the, the, one of the big values of religion, even though I don't believe in the objective existence of a God, is that part of self-love, in, in my experience, is getting out of your own ego mind and the thoughts that you have and going, there's something guiding me. And it could just be the part of my brain that runs my heart, the part of my brain that runs my kidneys that I'm not thinking about. Like something clearly is guiding me and running me that is beyond my thoughts that is looking out for me in, when I sleep, when I'm not thinking, and, and that the universe is, a, is an ultimately a good place. And I can see how when you, uh, real or not, I don't even want to argue about his objective existence or her objective existence, God really does satisfy that. It's, the universe is a good place, something is looking out for you, and I think that enables you to relax into a deeper level of acceptance. So I see the value of, of God in self-love, and I would say that the way that I get there is by believing more or in experiencing a higher self, a part of myself that is taking care of things even when I'm not thinking about them. And I know that that's happening because my heart has never stopped beating, which is... Yet. <laughs> I haven't thought about every beat it's ever done. I haven't cleared when I've gotten drunk the alcohol out of my, <laughs> out of my system. Something is helping me in, in an incredible way. Mm. Um, and for me, it, it, that doesn't require God. But yeah, I, 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 that's kind of where I land on that. What about you? Yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty agnostic at this point. So mm -hmm. any self-love I have is not based on a religion or even a belief in a higher power necessarily. I'd say my personal journey to self-love has had multiple phases. I think step one was work on the external world. I think at some point I was not charismatic, I was, I'd never had a job, so I had no real money to speak of or anything like that. And it, and it was about setting goals and achieving them was the step one of building self-esteem and therefore self-love, right? So go out and become charismatic and go out and become successful in that. And then at some point I went, okay, well, that's, that's led to confidence that led, that's led to good external circumstances, but not necessarily to what you said, self-acceptance. So I think at some point for me, I switched from, okay, the goal is just to maximize like the score in life to I have to accept not just the good stuff and not just take pride in my achievements, but I have to go back and look at the things I'm not proud of and accept that those happen too. And so that second journey was very benefited by psychedelics. That was the mm -hmm. first time that I kind of looked in and went, wow, there, you know, I'm not perfect. Up to that point, I had just, I said, I'm going to try to be perfect. I'm going to get as close to perfect as humanly possible. And then I will love myself for that perfection. That was phase one totally fine phase, I think, for the time in my life. Then at some point I went, okay, actually, if I want to have true self-love, I have to accept that I'm not perfect. And I kind of went back and looked at the times that I didn't, wasn't proud of my behavior or was ashamed of what had happened to me or things like that. And then that second phase has taken me where I am today. And I don't think I'm perfect. I'm sure there will be a third phase at some point, but that's mm -hmm. kind of where I'm at. It's been a good formula so far. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't mention psychedelics, but I'm glad you did because that... <clears throat> I wouldn't have gotten to a lot of these <laughs> these experiences. And I think one of the things that psychedelics do is, while not necessarily religious, 
I think they give, I don't know, well, I'd be curious. Do you describe it as a spiritual experience or think of it? You nope. don't? No? So for me, it I, I never use the word spiritual, but I it, it's so different from every other experience in my life that I don't, I just, that sounds like a good term for it. Yeah. No, from, if I had to describe it, specifically ayahuasca, which has been the most therapeutic, mm-hmm. I would describe it as getting to cut through my own self-deception and see inside my mind with a clearer lens that is less tied to my ego mm-hmm. and less tied to what I want to be true. I'm more tied to what's actually happening in my mind. Mm-hmm. And so you get to see, oh, wow, like you think you think that this is how you believe or that you think that this is your opinion of this thing or how you operate. But actually, there's more fear than you would have acknowledged. There's more self-loathing than you would have allowed. There's more shame around this thing that happened when you were 16 than mm-hmm. you possibly would have admitted to yourself. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of it like wipes the lens clean and yeah. you can look internally without having your defensiveness, your ego, your cognitive biases and all that stuff. So that's that's how I describe ayahuasca. It doesn't, mm-hmm. there could be higher powers, but that doesn't make me, uh, they're not religious experiences to me. Got it. Well, so I, and for, they're not either for me. They're not religious experiences for me. And I guess I, I just put the word spiritual on almost what you said. And you can think of it as brain, you can think of it as this, but it is just different than my, <laughs> than my oh, yeah. waking conscious experience for sure. So great question. Yeah, I think, and I, also, we talk about psychedelics a lot. I actually do want to shout out holotropic breathwork. Yeah. Not necessarily as quick to get to those points, but for people who, we get a lot of questions like, how do I do ayahuasca, oh, yeah. this and that. Or like Russell Brand, someone who has an ex- you know, a history of, of drug abuse, sure. shouldn't necessarily do But I'm do just saying, you, you, don't ha- you don't have to go to Peru and find a shaman. Mm-hmm. Actually, if you look into holotropic breathwork and you're willing to put in 45 minutes of time, you can get to a point where your brain will release more DMT just like it would if you took a certain plan. Yeah. And you can have this experience from home, legally, without totally spending safe. money. Yeah. And yeah, and it's totally in your control because totally you can always change your breath. So we talk about psychedelics a lot. I actually want to encourage people, check out holotropic breathwork as a very great alternative. To- also, Ecstatic Dance, I did one yesterday. Oh, yeah? Yeah. They're, ecstatic Dance is great. I just don't have a good spot for it. Yeah. I feel weird because there's always people in my apartment. <laughs> but Ecstatic Dance is one of those other things that will give you, it takes... 15 20 minutes to hit the zone uh uh, again this is all i'm working on it because for the emotional mastery course but if you want to sign up for that we'll put the link in the description (laughs) also do we have a sponsor you said we had a sponsor you said cut was our sponsor i thought that cuts might be a sponsor cuts is the t-shirt that that i'm wearing right now uh and they're giving 15 percent off if we set this up in time anybody (laughs) signs up with the code so they're really super comfy shirts i've been wearing them if you want to check that out that'll be in the in the description as well but the ecstatic dancing can lead to these types of moving weird altered states of consciousness do you find so i've done ecstatic dance on my own I find it's a great way to boost joy. I find it's like an instant hit of mini ecstasy. Yeah. I find holotropic breathwork is more similar to ayahuasca in the sense that I, you can have a breakthrough about your life. Like it's when so I, I never am ecstatic dancing and then all of a sudden I realize something about my childhood or something about... I have. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, for me, it's the, the breathwork is definitely... Breathwork is great. More self-improvement focused mm-hmm. and the ecstatic dance is more... Like my day. Okay, yeah. I'm going to... This is like doing Molly without the <laughs> come down. Yeah. No, I have, I haven't both, and I they're different. And uh, experimenting, you can combine them a little bit. You can do five minutes of breath work, stand up, and then you'll go even harder at the at the dancing, which is cool. But all of those things are cool ways to experience altered states of consciousness. And to bring it back to your question, I think those altered states of consciousness gives you, to our earlier conversation, a lot more access to the truth. 
and through that truth you work through some stuff and that's where like self-love kind of has unfolded and i don't think i'm done i think total self-love looks like some guy on a mountain sitting very still <laughs> not trying to prove anything to anyone yeah, yeah. Um, but i think one thing i didn't realize so a couple years ago though to to something we said earlier a lot of self-love is about self-acceptance it's not about perfection it's not mm -hmm. about being the best it's just about accepting who you are and so i think if god gets you there or if psychedelics get you there or if breathwork gets you there meditation gets you there i think that to to have true self-love is to love all parts of yourself mm -hmm. and to have forgiveness for any mistakes you've met, made so if you look into the past with hatred for yourself and you go ah it's a good sign that you got some stuff to do <laughs> yeah yeah that's why and it's not that's impeding your self-love yeah and when you can look back on your past and go yeah it makes sense you're 16 like of course this happened to you and you couldn't have prevented it okay now you're now you're closer to what i would consider self-love yeah interesting i would add one one uh tweak or wrinkle to that which is that if you look on your past and you're ashamed or whatever i actually don't think that's impeding your self-love i think that's a symptom of it and so what people sometimes try to do when they think that's in the way is they try to forgive before they feel forgiveness or they try to convince themselves that they're not ashamed and the only way, if you've done some of this, because what you've realized is if you've had a psychedelic experience and you've gone into something, you thought you dealt with it. You're like, I'm not ashamed yeah, of that yeah, thing. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. And what you realize is the only way to genuinely not be ashamed of it is to go in it, through it, and let it be horrible, <laughs> right? To let it, all the pain and the sadness and the anger come up. And then you come out of having gone through it, and forgiveness is natural. There's no effort. There's no, I should forgive. It's, I just do. I don't, you know, there's no, I shouldn't feel ashamed. I just don't. I just don't anymore. And so if you're like working on shame by telling yourself not to feel ashamed or working on forgiveness by telling yourself you ought to forgive, I actually think that that will not get you to mm -hmm. self-love. The only way out, as they say, is is through. So anyways, that was a long answer. Yeah, good luck cutting, <laughs> good luck cutting that down into something interesting, Justin. <laughs> okay, next one is, um, I've been loving the emotional mastery so much is incredible. It has Justin, you are such a good salesman. Thank you for bringing this up. <laughs> <laughs> it has helped me work through coming to terms with being gay, classic middle child syndrome, my crippling shyness. But the one thing after all the personal development I have delved into for the past seven years, the one thing I can't get over is feeling ugly. Hmm. Is there any advice for a person who can't just shake the feeling of being unattractive, especially in a family of good looking people where it's a high value trait that I can't seem to live up to? It's hard because I can't help comparing myself not only to everyone in my family, but also everyone I meet. And sometimes it feels like who I am would matter more if I was better looking, let alone when it comes to finding love. Mm -hmm. I know this is the core of emotional mastery, so maybe I also have to be patient, but any supplementary pieces of wisdom would be appreciated. Sure. Can I, can I hop in with some Go. quick stuff? Go. So uh, I think there's two things. One is I think it's totally fine to be concerned with how you look in if that translates to just trying to maximize yourself, trying to be relatively fit, be relatively well-groomed, this and that. I think when it becomes something that you're obsessed with and especially something you idolize, that that's the downside. So I don't want, I don't want my answer to think for people to be like, oh, like this Stop means showering. just ignore this or like <laughs> that the gym has no value. Yeah, I think yeah. there are, I think there's value to presenting yourself the best you can given your genetics. But something you said was, I think this is getting in the way specifically of finding love. I have not seen in my life that the better looking people get better relationships. You know, better looking people might get better looking people in their relationships, but doesn't seem to translate to being happier or finding someone that makes you happy. Mm -hmm. So I would say that there potentially is a bit of, I don't know if it's grass is greener or if idolizing is the right word, the sense that, oh, if I were Brad Pitt, then I would have an amazing, beautiful wife. But if you look at Brad Pitt, 
he's had two divorces and was an alcoholic. And I think he's a great lesson because I think he's the most attractive guy on the planet. He's also incredibly rich, incredibly famous. So yeah, even if you are average or ugly, that doesn't condemn you to anything. In fact, you can go have a much better relationship than all the attractive people you see that seem so nice on the outside. So that's that's the biggest thing that I would say. Yeah. And so Ben's advice is 100, I think is very true. What's interesting is that these things are often obvious and we might have heard them before, but they don't stick. And they sometimes don't stick because it goes back to a core thing for where you got the message at some point in your life, probably when you were very young, Childhood. that looking good equals love. And so I could tell you and you could see that looking good doesn't equal love and you can find, you know, but it's not going anywhere. So oftentimes what happens, and this is why if you go to week two, if you go to the trigger meditation, I know that this, this one might be deep so it can take some time to crack. We've also mentioned psychedelics, if not to push, but- Holotropic breathwork. Holotropic breathwork <laughs> or even psychedelics, if they call to you, MDMA uh, is particularly strong for trauma. Uh, so if you find a, a safe place to do it with somebody who knows what they're doing, uh, yeah, let's say MDMA therapy. MDMA therapy, yeah. Which is different from doing MDMA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's, you go that's, to a club and rip a bunch of MDMA, it will not help with this problem. This this can take you deep uh, into these core problems, and it sounds like this is very, very, very core. So what you'll often find is that you get these triggers. So I mentioned a trigger of people accepting stimulus checks, and you might see that somebody's very handsome, and the winding circuitous path back to its root is oftentimes obscured. And so I don't want to speculate because it might it's easy to go, oh, you were told that when you were little, ugly is not love. And maybe that's the case, but it also could be something totally different. And what's really useful, so use the if you're going through it, do the trigger meditation. I'm going to be updating the course soon with a deeper understanding of how these things can wind and I'll try to guide better. So if this isn't taking you there, hopefully within the next couple of weeks, I will be able to do better. You can additionally add breath work prior to these uh, the trigger meditation, which again, I'm going to, I'm going to include in the course in a few weeks. Uh, but the, the goal as exactly as we talked about is to experience the actual problem, because what you're dealing right now is a surface problem. Oh, I'm ugly. People don't love me. And you'll find that what the core problem is just, I'm fundamentally unlovable or, you know, for whatever reason it is. And when you can experience that, all the branches that come from that it's like you cut a thread and they not, might not go away completely because there's probably all these different things in your life. But once you start to cut these threads, they pull on you less and less and less. So the trigger meditation is a great place to start with whatever is triggering you. I'm going to add breath work into the course soon. And if you want the path of fire, psychedelics can just, with, with a strong intention, can cut right through and, and hit it very, very quickly. Yeah. But yeah, your looks are not getting in the way of love. They may be getting in the way of validation <clears throat> via having a person that you think makes you look good to the outside world mm -hmm. but uh you're good some of the happiest people i know are not conventionally attractive so. what's funny is and i don't want to bank on this oftentimes i'll hear this from somebody and then i'll see them and i'll be like you're not ugly <laughs> like like what <laughs> like and it's it's funny how our perceptions of ourselves will purposefully filter all oh, that well that person said so and that person said so never mind the other six people who said no you're totally fine like and two of them who are like actually i'm quite attracted to you like that just all gets left to the side um you know my sister's like actually i think that your brother isn't as handsome as you well they're obviously lying because i'm hideous and i know it and so you can filter out competing competing information if it doesn't suit your narrative anywho good luck <clears throat> um last one is 
I have to cut off a relationship with my mother. It doesn't matter what I do, how I do it, or why I do it. I will always be her child, even when she's on her deathbed and I'm entering old age myself. <laughs> In that relationship, I had no chance to be a man or even a better person, and I want to avoid doing that with others if I can. On that note, I'm wondering what your thoughts are about rites of passage based upon, based upon personality, if we should, and how we can restore this tradition. I'm defining a rite of passage as a transitory event after which a person should think of themselves differently and when an individual acquires new rights and responsibilities. For example, being of the age to drink, drive, and rent a car were rights because I was old enough, but it didn't feel like I was different, and I didn't feel like I had different obligations. Um, I, While I want a rite of passage to be tied to personality, being a better slash gooder man i don't think it is it's strictly in what others can depend upon you for so if there are no more rights waiting for us in life save for death how can we actively shift the way people relate to us simulating a rite of passage is it as simple as setting slash changing boundaries and changing what things we do to leveraging people to leveraging quote-unquote people like us do things like this thereby changing the way the person relates to me is that it yeah we got it it's <laughs> a lot there's a lot so I've, it just made me think did you feel different after your bar mitzvah no that was because i mean not that not that bar mitzvahs have never but i effectively i when i went to them i was like i do not think you feel like a man right now <laughs> did you feel differently after you lost your virginity that might have been one that, that was that was one that was one that was one and it was more just like stress was real i was like whew thought that would never happen because (laughs) uh that was that might have been one but so well there's a lot in there so let's start with this your mother you'll always be your child i mean my mom actually says that to me which is you there's no i can never not have you be my son and that's fine but what's interesting in a relationship and i'm not saying that you should or shouldn't because i don't know any specifics about the relationship with your mother uh she can view you as a child without you accepting that view of yourself. You know what I mean? She can view you as her child, and you can say, yes, I am her child, but I am still a man, and I will behave as such. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say that. I am my, I'm, I'm my parents' child, but also a 32-year-old man. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think that that label is a bad thing. We're mm-hmm. all someone's child. Sure, sure. And so, and perhaps to her... That means that she needs to uh, cut the corners off your sandwiches or, or, you know, do X, Y, and Z. My mom has been trying to send me masks for stuff. And, I, and I'll often have to tell her, stop. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah. I don't need this. But uh, I wonder, and I'm not saying for sure because you didn't really include specifics, if there's not a middle ground of cutting your mom off versus part of being an adult means you don't have to accept the relationship. So she says, no, this is how it's going to be. Part of being adult isn't, oh, it's my way of the highway. It's, no, actually, it's gonna be like this you know like sure and, and also just to be clear maybe this mom is incredibly destructive yeah. drug addict so abusive the case, yeah. there are reasons to cut your mom off but uh also yeah, you can you can define the relationship to be whatever you want it to be mm-hmm. and you can draw boundaries and then if she oversteps them if you say yeah i want to uh, we can have calls once a week but you have to stop calling me every day and she keeps calling you okay there can be a penalty for crossing a boundary you know but, what's what's interesting is as i think through the question and i and i am if i'm mischaracterizing let me know justin it seems like you want a rite of passage so other people treat you differently. Yeah. And it seems like what you need is to sit down and do your own internal rite of passage so that you feel differently. Because mm-hmm. you're waiting on other people to treat you differently and tell you that you're a certain way. And what that might be is an indication that you haven't assumed the, the mantle of self-directed 
you know, I, you know, yeah, I take your advice, but your I make the decision. Your own man, whatever yeah, yeah. that means to you. Well, I think, and it's, you know, here, I appreciate your counsel, but I'll make the final decision type of thing. Uh, and if people, I know that there were periods in my life where everyone thought that they would counsel me and there, it, it wasn't a rite of passage, but when I left my job, everybody thought that they would tell me how I was going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't listen. And after that, the advice that I received was very different. It was offered not as a commandment, but as advice, because that was the rite of passage where I said, yeah, yeah. you don't tell me what to do anymore but with my behavior. I actually think maybe people are going to come at me and tell me this is wrong. In today's age, I think rite of passage is overrated or not the way that I would think about it. It's just a choice. Like I, the, the sense I got from this question was that the person wants some sort of thing that he can do that will then make him feel like a man well, and make, well, and other make people, other yeah. people treat him like a man, right? Like going, living uh, in the wilderness yeah. for six months and then coming out of the other side and having mom or friends or whatever go, oh, wow, yeah. like now you're a different person. And I don't, I think I would throw that thought away if I were you, and especially if you live in the Western world and are over 18. And I would well, just say, this is just a choice. I actually don't, you know, as you say that, we there were, college was a rite of passage, man. That was a thing. That was, we moved out of the house, we went to college. For me, going abroad, was another level of, of independence. Well, what are you defining rite of passages? I mean, these are things that you did, sure. They were clear delineations of a before and an after period. When I lived in my parents' house, there were r- rules and responsibilities for what it meant to live in my parents' house and how decisions would be made. And like on a line, the day that I went to college, things changed. Yeah, but if you hadn't gone to college and had become a construction worker, things still would have changed. They would have not shifted on a dot. You know no, they would have. If you had gotten a job and gotten your if, own apartment. If you moved out. Yeah. So, but here's the sure, thing. Sure, so a rite of passage could be leaving. Leaving, yes. So I, I actually do think that they're important. But imagine... I, don't think, I don't think that's a rite of passage. I actually think, and maybe you can just define it differently. My sense would be someone, someone can only control you to the extent that you let them or give them power over you. So if you are going to live in someone's place and not pay rent, and then they want to tell you what to do, yeah, like they should, you don't get to necessarily be a self-directed adult because you're living off of them. You know what I mean? They're supporting you. But that, I guess rite of passage sounds like something else to me. And, and to me, this is not just true of your parents. This is true of anyone. If someone comes into your house and you're paying the rent for them, you get to kind of tell them what's up. And then if you go out and live on your own, no one gets to control you and mm-hmm. you're your own person. I think it's just a, it's about dependence. Sure. So uh, for you, what I would recommend is, because we don't know the particulars of your own life, you're asking like you you kind of want a culturally prescribed rite of passage or what do we think or that's the at least the way that I'm hearing it. What I would do is sit very still, take three deep three deep breaths, close your eyes, and say what rite of passage do I need to step into the role of independent man so that I can still potentially this is your call to add this optional relate to my mother. What do I need to do? And I don't know your situation. It might be move out. It might be become financially independent. It might be uh, tell her the truth about things that you've been hiding from her because she calls you and nags you and you just keep secrets from her to avoid the nagging. Uh, I, I suspect the good news is that this is more in your control than you perceive and it doesn't have to be, oh, we've all gathered together to put yeah, you on yeah. a chair and sing. That's what I, I guess that's sing. the point I'm trying to make is yeah. it's actually 100% in your control. Mm-hmm. Achieve financial independence and then make whatever decisions you want with regards to all the people in your life who you want to see and not see and, and how much how much sway they have in your yeah. decisions and weirdly the rite of passage is going to be in, in cutting that cord which is people can people who are dependent upon their mother or their brother or their sister or their friend to behave in a certain way can only go 
so far away yeah, yeah, before yeah. they yank the chain and go, well, I'm not going to do that. And it's like, and you're yanked. Yeah. Right we've back. seen this with, with someone we know. So sure. Mm-hmm. I'll, actually, I'll, I'll get behind that. A, a huge rite of passage. If you want to be decisive, independent and in control of your life is financial independence. And to recognize, and I think as, as I think of this particular individual that love is not about uh, providing for necessarily uh, being dependent upon or controlling the other person, like that you can be two independent adults that love and care for one another and want the best, but do not have direct control over finances or behaviors of the other. And that can be a tough phase for both the parent yeah. and the child to. That's the best form into. of love, I think, in, mm-hmm. in parental relationships and in romantic Once you're relationships. Age when you're six. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying, I'm saying if you're above 18 or you're above yeah, 21. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, but I'm, I'm specifically, I'm thinking in, in dating relationships too. Mm-hmm. Like I've had times where uh, I was supporting a girlfriend and I actually think that to some extent it taints the relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think with parents or with friends or with romantic people, what you said is true. It's not just parents. It's like when you're two independent adults that do not depend on the other person for shelter or food, but, now you but can you have still choose now yeah, you yeah, can yeah. choose yeah, yeah. now you can decide what your relationship is yeah mm-hmm. yeah, cool. yeah hope that helps and if we missed because it was a long yeah question, yeah yeah this guy's sitting here just I like i apologize like you completely whipped that's not uh, true at all my mom's that, a heroin addict and this is not helpful <laughs> is that is that it for uh, yeah. questions awesome so thank you guys if you guys want to sign up for patreon and and it would mean i mean it would mean we did it in two weeks and i would be super happy but first off thank you to everyone who already who already signed up for Patreon. We've raised, I think, almost $350 every single month. It means a ton. I'm very flattered. I've read your messages, and though I, I haven't gotten back to all of them, and I probably won't, I have read them. One person even wrote in that they canceled their Audible subscription because this was more valuable, and I felt Aww. I was touched, and I and I hope that we continue to help. So if you'd like to sign up, patreon.com slash charisma on command. And if not, we'll see you in a month's time. Awesome. Cool. Later, people. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.